right, may I ask you please to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And one thing I failed to announce, we've already been taking some photos. As you can see, during the service, we, we had a photographer. Kiki's been helping us take pictures with the families before the service. But if any of you... Uh, extended family. If you're here from out of town and you would like a specific pose or photo with the children being dedicated, right after the service, Kiki's going to make herself available just outside on the front lawn there. So please know you can make your way directly to that spot. We all exit through these side doors here on my left. But if you want to just exit through there and make your way to that front lawn, she'll be happy to do some photos, you know, special photos if, if you'd like to have that. All right, Luke chapter 2, and this morning God's given me a sermon that does fit the occasion. I'd like to preach to you, as you can see on the outline, a sermon entitled Suggestions on Parenthood. And in Luke chapter 2, we don't have the Lord commanding Mary and Joseph as to how they are to raise Jesus. But we do have some stories about the early life of Jesus and in line with what I preached last week, I mentioned that no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what, what event, what problem, what challenge you've been met with, you can find something in the life of Christ that will speak to that situation and instruct you on how to properly approach it. So rather than say commands, there are commands in the Bible for how a parent is to raise a child. But today, we're just going to look at this story and I believe find some suggestions on parenthood. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 19 to begin with. Luke 2 verse 19, the Bible says, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I just want you to see that Mary had heard something she kept it in her heart. Let your eyes go to the end of the chapter now, Luke 2, verse 49. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? This is the 12-year-old Jesus speaking to his parents. Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they, Mary and Joseph, understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. I, I believe there's something we're going to find from how Mary reacted to these situations and how she was learning as she went how to be a better parent. And even this morning, regardless of your stage of life, some of you don't have families yet. Some of you, the children have already moved on. And the temptation might be to say, well, this message isn't for me. I'm not raising a child at this current time. At the very least, you can receive these sayings, keep these things in your heart, ponder them, and they might end up being very useful in some other way or some other time in your life. Can I ask you to please bow your heads again? Let's ask for God's help as we go through this sermon this morning. Father, thank you this morning. The specialness of this day, God, getting to see children dedicated to you, Father, our, our heart's desire is that every single individual in this room would also be dedicated to you. And Lord, it's wonderful for a parent to dedicate a child, but I believe it's even greater when an individual dedicates him or herself. Please speak to us this morning, no matter what the age or stage of life is, 
Teach us from this passage this morning. We beg you to please help us open our eyes, draw us closer to you, change us in a way that glorifies you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me walk you through Luke chapter 2 just quickly. As you might know, the beginning of the chapter is Jesus' birth. The shepherds have been visited by angels and the angels have shown them where to go and to see the little infant Jesus, newborn Jesus wrapped in a manger. What a sight this must have been. And if you read that whole story, the shepherds come in to Mary and Joseph and communicate to them the entire story. Imagine a mother holding her newborn child. Now Mary already knows that this child is special, right? In Luke chapter 1, she's been visited by the angel Gabriel. She knows, this is a virgin birth. She knows that this is an incredibly unique situation. But to now see the progression. Uh, Parents, would you agree with me that the miracle of birth, what a day. It's a day you'll never forget, the day your child is born. Everything surrounding that day tends to stick in our memories, but then it just builds from there. And now the baby's been born, the shepherds come in and give this great announcement, this is Christ the Lord, the Savior of the world. And Mary is now letting these experiences pile up in her heart. And she's not going to quickly forget these things. As the chapter goes on, there is a baby dedication. I don't know if you're familiar with the Jewish custom for dedicating male children, but they had to go through a circumcision at the age of eight days. That was their baby dedication. Thank God we're not Old Testament Jews. I'm not going to do that. They bring the little child, Jesus, eight days old into the temple. They go through the ritual of circumcision. And then a man named Simeon, he had been visited by the Holy Spirit and and Simeon knew that this child was special. If you could just look with me at verse 33, Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Imagine telling a mother that, that a sword is going to pierce your soul. That's not something a mother would quickly forget. He says that the thoughts of many hearts may, re, may be revealed. Simeon has said God's going to use this child in an incredible way. Now we understand that the children that are dedicated today, any child that's born is not at the level of Jesus. But we must understand the potential of any child. That God can use that child even beyond how he's used you. Isn't that what we hope and desire? That God would use our children and walk with them closer and more than he has even with us as individuals. I'm sure that this situation stuck in Mary's heart. And then when we get to Luke 2, at the end of it, we have Jesus at the age of 12 speaking with the doctors and we see again how Mary kept these things in her heart. I'll make a very obvious statement. Parents don't know everything. I think sometimes that we're kind of, we, we kind of feel like we're expected to because our children need answers. And where are they going to go for answers? They're going to turn to their parents. But the fact of the matter is we don't know everything. We don't know how to handle every situation. We have to learn on the job. Isn't this right? One one is a many me. (laughs) But we have to learn as we go. 
Now, in order to learn as you go, you have to keep these things in your heart. You let the memories, you let the failures, you let the successes pile up, and you're constantly reevaluating Am I doing my job as a parent? As I've mentioned, there's no commands in this story, but I believe some really solid suggestions on parenthood. Let me point them out to you. Five things I'd like to show you. Let's begin at verse 41. Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover, and he was 12 years old when they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. There's one phrase in verse 41 I want to really focus in on. His parents went to Jerusalem every year. Do you see that? Every year. So point number one, if you'd like to fill out or follow along on your outline, point number one, here's the first suggestion. Participate sincerely. Participate sincerely. We see that Mary and Joseph went up to this feast every year. This is a routine this is a routine. Every family needs routines, right? Mom and dad, don't we teach the children from a young age, uh, it's time to brush your teeth. That's a good routine, right? Yes? I'm a little scared. No one's agreeing with that. Okay. That is a good routine. It's a good habit to bathe on a regular basis. It's a good habit to clean up your room. Amen. It, it is. It, it's a good habit to exercise. It's a good habit, right? Eventually, you get a little older, you need your morning cup of coffee, right? Right? Kids have enough energy, but once you get to a certain age, we need a boost. <laughs> we, we all have routines, and routines are not always bad. Now, the problem is, sometimes when you mix religion with routine, it can be a little bit dangerous, right? Because we feel like we fall into a rut, and we're just going through the motions and doing it because we have to. But... Listen, I know I have to brush my teeth. I know I have to uh, wash my clothes. I know I have to do certain things in life. So because these routines are necessary, rather than skip them, what I have to do is make sure that I'm doing it with the right attitude. I have to participate, but I have to do it sincerely. I have to make the most of it. We all have religious obligations. We have spiritual obligations. The feast of the Passover for a Jew, non-negotiable. You have to do it. Now, there's two ways that Mary and Joseph could have approached this. They could have, for 11 years, took Jesus to this feast, griping and complaining. And, oh, man, now we have to go again. Oh, this is the same thing. We're just going to do the same thing we did last year. We already know what's going to happen. They could have made this a miserable experience for Jesus. Now, because Jesus is Jesus, it may not have affected him. But you put a regular child in that situation, hearing his mom and dad participating in that religious observance, but with a bad attitude, how do you think it's going to affect that child? I wonder, I wonder if God maybe chose Mary and Joseph and allowed them the great blessing of having Jesus in their family because he knew that they not only participated in all of the proper religious observances, but they did it with a good attitude. And they knew that this would properly rub off on Jesus. Can I ask you to just hold your place here? Come back to Exodus chapter 12. I want to show you 
from the Old Testament where this was commanded. Exodus chapter 12 is the story of the Passover. And we'll begin at verse number 24. So God explains to them what they're supposed to do for the Passover, on what day they're supposed to do it. This is an eight-day affair. This is not a Sunday morning come to church and go home. This is eight days. That's a lot for most people, right? You, that's your vacation. You take off from work to come do this. It was commanded for the Jews. Verse 24, he says, Ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when ye come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass, watch this part, when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? that ye shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses and the people bowed the head and worshipped. The reason God said do this over and over again every year it was to remind the Jews of God's deliverance yes but also to provide an opportunity for mom and dad to explain why the things of God are so important. Now, don't you know that the attitude, the, the way that mom and dad participates in these spiritual affairs, it will affect the questions that the children are asking. If they see mom and dad excited about getting to participate in the Passover, if they see mom and dad excited about getting to read their Bible and pray at home, if they see mom and dad saying, let's get good sleep on Saturday because we need to be fresh for Sunday. We're going to go to church and hear about the Lord Jesus. This is a big deal. Children, do not, they don't come preloaded with spiritual experience. It's not as if children automatically know why these things are so important. But eventually, as they watch mom and dad walk with God and perform these consistent spiritual routines, these healthy routines it should spark the question why do you do that mom dad why do we go to church so often why do I see you reading the Bible so much why at the dinner table do we pray before we eat why do we do this and not do that and your sincere participation is going to help mold that child's life we see it in the life of Mary and Joseph. Come back to Luke chapter 2, if you would. Every year, it says in verse 41. And verse 42, when Jesus was 12, there was no exception. It says they went up to Jerusalem after, after the custom of the feast. This is a good, good custom, a good tradition, if you will. Don't you know that when Jesus grew up, before he even started preaching... Before he was baptized at the age of 30, Jesus actively participated in the synagogue. The Bible says he was the reader. He would stand up to read the scripture for the entire synagogue. Where do you think he learned to participate like that? This, this was not an independent thing that Jesus taught himself. This is something that his, he saw in his mom and dad growing up that it is right 
to participate sincerely. So that's a good suggestion. Number two, verses 43 and 44. Number two, I'm going to say present structure. Present structure. Verse 43 says, And when they had fulfilled the days, so they'd gone through the Feast of Passover, which is one day, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread is seven additional days. So they fulfilled those days. When they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. This is a fairly gross oversight, isn't it? They left town without their child. In modern terms, I don't know if you've seen the movie Home Alone, but it's a Home Alone moment, right? Where you've left Kevin behind and where is he? This must be a very terrifying thing for mom and dad to go through. I want to just pose this question, maybe help me think through this. Who's to blame here? Is it Mary and Joseph or is it Jesus? Now, when you think of it from a theological standpoint, it becomes very easy to say Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He never sinned. But actually, this helps us understand this story a little better. The Bible does say that Jesus had no sin. Well, that tells me something. This story, Jesus staying behind, was not an act of rebellion. Right? If it was rebellion, that would have been sin. So this tells me something else. If it wasn't rebellion, Mary and Joseph did not give a command, come with us, right? If they had said, is everybody's car still there? I'm so sorry if your car is missing. (laughs) We try to keep them inside the gate. This tells me that Mary and Joseph never went to Jesus and said, it's time to go Let's, let's, move, let's leave Jerusalem and go back, back home. They did not offer any structure for this journey. And therefore, Jesus staying behind, he's doing what any curious 12-year-old would do. He was interested in the temple and the things of God, and that's where he was to be found. This is not the fault of Jesus, but rather Mary and Joseph failing to give proper instruction. You know what I think happened? They probably assumed that Jesus knew what to do because for 11 years we've been doing this, right? Mom and dad, wouldn't you also somewhat assume this, that obviously we're leaving town. Jesus can see that we're packing our bags. We're putting our our stuff on the back of the donkey. He can see that we're about to leave. This is obvious. I shouldn't need to tell my child to do this, this, this. They should know by now. My suggestion from this passage is this. Maybe your kid does know, and maybe your kid should know by now. But better safe than sorry, go ahead and give them some structure anyway. Rather than assume they know what to do, you go ahead and direct them, guide them each step of the way. Here's how you handle this situation. Present structure, even if they've already gone through the motions of this before. This might just be a gentle reminder for the child, but it might be necessary. And I'm going to offer some very broad categories here, but telling your children something like this, Mom, Dad, have you ever said this? Be careful. I think our children need to hear that probably on a daily basis. 
because no matter how many times we tell them that, we find them in a position of, of great danger, right? They're about to fall off of something. They're about to jump too high, run too fast, go down the street. Too. Please be careful. And you know how the kids react to that. Yes, yes, I know, I know. Hey, but at least I've told you, be careful, right? Be smart. Be smart. You think we shouldn't have to tell people that. Have you looked around at how the world operates? <laughs> I think that's a good, a good reminder to give people. Be smart. Make good decisions. Oh, especially as they get older, right? Especially as they, they get into that teenage stage. You got to remind them to stop and think and make good decisions. Mom and dad, rather than assume your child knows this, please remind them. On occasion, tell them, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I have found that even as my children are growing up and moving on and they're into the adult stage of their life and having families of their own, from time to time, I like to remind them, I'm here for you. They may not need my assistance, but I want them to know that there is a structure for help if they need it. On occasion, I want to make sure that my children know I love them. You say, but my kids know that. Tell them anyway. Set them, set them down and, and, and just say, I, I don't have a, a long speech for you. I just want to tell you one thing. I love you. I care about you. Now, you say, but my kid, you know, is going to get a bit awkward and he's not going to know how to respond. That's one of the privileges of being a parent is putting your kids on the spot like that and seeing them go, oh, dad. Dads get to do that. But here's what's going to happen from this. The potential of it. When you present that structure that I'm here for you, I love you, I'm concerned about you, in that child's hour of need, because it will eventually come, won't it? Instead of turning to ungodly friends, instead of turning to sinful counsel, right? Getting advice from the wrong people. They know where to turn to get help. They know who truly cares because you have consistently reminded them. You have given them structure so that when chaos in their life begins to happen, they know where to find order. They know that mom and dad has made a plan and that they care about me. This flows into the next thing I want to show you from this passage. We're going to go back through verse 43 to 45. Number three on your outline, pay special attention. Pay special attention. Participate sincerely. Present structure. And then pay special attention. In verse 43, they'd fulfilled the days. Jesus tarried behind. Notice at the end, Joseph and his mother knew not of it. In verse 44, but they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. Can I just say that this was very common in this culture to assume that one of the Uams or Tanis is watching the child. If I don't see my child, one of my family members or friends is watching the child. And that's still very common in a lot of cultures all over the world to this day. Verse 45, And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. 
I think it's safe to say that Mary and Joseph assumed someone else was paying attention to their son. You've all heard the saying, it takes a village, right? Am I, do I have that saying correct? Do you have that saying around here? It takes a village to raise a child. I believe there's truth in that. There, there is truth in that. But I, I want to say this as well to balance that. No one should be more interested in your child than you. No one should be more interested than you. Can other people have interest and have input and help shape your child's life? Yes, absolutely. Teachers, coaches, pastors, friends, all of these things are going to shape them. We know that. But mom and dad, no one should be more interested in paying more attention to your child than you. Do you think it's also safe from verse 43, 44, and 45 to say that Jesus in this occasion was an afterthought? The parents made a plan to go home and Jesus didn't get factored into that plan, not directly. After they'd gone a whole day, then they stop and think, how is our journey affecting Jesus? So the suggestion I want to give you here is paying special attention Moms and dads, not every plan you make is going to focus on your child directly. They're, they're not going to be the reason you make every plan that you make. But you do need to consider how are my plans going to affect my children? And how do they fit into this plan? That being said, I do think on occasion, moms and dads, it would be good to plan a few things specifically for your kids how incredibly special that would make them feel. I want to build off of something I said last week. I want to kind of unpack the statement this morning. I mentioned last week that children are not the center of the universe. And I stand by that comment. But I want to unpack it a little bit. Because there's a difference between paying special attention to your child and deifying your child. You understand the center of the universe is God himself. You understand that, right? So when we say, when I say, children are not the center of the universe, we do not want to make little gods out of our children. I don't want you to overreact to that statement and say, okay, well then I will treat them less than necessary. They, they are incredibly precious and important and deserve your utmost attention in the highest point of your love but they're not little gods walking around. We have a unique story here, don't we, in Luke 2, because in Jesus, we do have deity walking around. Here is a young human version, God in the flesh, but I want you to see very carefully, you know how the story goes. Mary and Joseph, they journey a day away, so it takes them a day to get back, and then a day to find Jesus. So three days all together, a day away, day back, and then a day to find him. By the time they get to him in Jerusalem, look at verse 48. It says, and when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, son, whatever you do is perfectly okay because you're God in the flesh. Is, is that what Mary said? That's not how she reacted. Did you know that's how a lot of parents react? that no matter what their child does, it's right. Have you seen this in some moms and dads? 
They justify everything their child says and does. Every time that child pitches a fit, it's somebody else's fault. Somebody else triggered it. It's not my kid. My precious little angel would never be wrong. So whatever my child wants to do, that becomes the boundary. Whatever my child feels like doing, that becomes the plan. No matter what my child does, I'm going to find a way to say that it's okay. They mask it by saying things like, I don't want to suppress my child's creativity. I don't want to inhibit them. You are there to guide them, train them, give them directions. You're there to present structure. You're there to say, walk with us. We are going home. That's your responsibility. As soon as you begin to justify all of their behavior, they can make no mistakes. Whatever they're doing, that becomes the plan. That's now what the whole family has to do. You have turned that child into a little God. You have deified him. Not even Mary did this with a young Jesus. Mary said, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Notice she didn't say, Jesus, shame on you, you disobeyed. Because Mary and Joseph did not offer a direct command, get on the donkey, come with us. So she had no grounds to say, shame on you, you disobeyed. He didn't. But she does help this young version of Jesus to understand. And by the way, Jesus did have to learn as he grew up. We, we talked about that last week. He was learning from his mom and dad. He learns at the very least here that his behavior affects his mom. Do you see that? His, his, his behavior affects how his mom and dad feels. Mom and dad, please tell your kids your behavior is making people angry. It is annoying. It is frustrating. This hurts me. You don't have to do that in an angry tone, but you need to tell them. They need that instruction so that as they grow up and become a part of society, they can actually function within society. What happens far too often is kids growing up never hear any sort of rebuke. They never have any sort of structure. Mom and dad do not point out that your actions affect others. So they, they grow up getting away with everything. When they become adults, they go into the workplace and you know what happens? They misbehave at work. And then when the boss says, why are you doing that? They go file a claim for abuse and say, oh, how my boss is overreacting. No, he's not. This is part of being in society. You can't just do and say whatever you want and get away with it. Mom and dad, you are the first line of defense to teach our children that they have to behave. Even Mary with a young Jesus was a strong enough parent to point this out. I've given you a verse at the, at the bottom of the outline, Proverbs 29, verse 15. The Bible says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Now, we always find in Jesus the exception, right? For three days he was left to himself. He didn't bring his mother to shame. Solomon, of course, when he wrote this, He's talking about a child left to raise himself. So a child that gets no instruction, no reproof, no rod. The child gets away with everything. 
that child is going to end up in embarrassment to his mom. He's going to end up shameful. Jesus in our story, like I said, he's the exception. But Mary was bold enough and brave enough to stand up and say, son, you've broken my heart. You scared me something silly. And Jesus was able to learn from this. He received the special attention he needed, which was the proper instruction for this situation. The fourth suggestion I want to give you, verses 46 and 47. Provide sustenance. Provide sustenance. Verse 46 says this, It came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. I don't think it surprises any of you for me to say that the mind of a child is incredibly sponge-like. Man, they can pick things up. They can understand more than we assume. Here's Jesus at the age of 12 talking with, interacting with doctors, lawyers. Now you say, well, this is the exception. This is Jesus. Haven't your children ever blown your mind with what they can understand and how they piece things together? It's shocking how much they can understand without us explaining it. Just from them observing life happening, they start to put things together. This should act as a warning to us that children are taking in more than we realize. We need to be careful what we put in front of them. Hence my suggestion, provide sustenance. Jesus at age 12, he's taking in some deep information. If I'm Mary and Joseph and I see this happening, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be challenged as a parent. Jesus is ready to talk about some rather deeper things. So let me make sure that I'm ready to discuss these deeper things with him. Let me provide the proper stimuli and sustenance to help my child grow. Not just putting food on the table, right? We talk about sustenance, we think put food on the table. What about the food for their mind? What about the food for their soul? That's the, one of the primary purposes of a parent is to create these situations that will allow your child to grow and stay hungry. Jesus interacted with these doctors, yes? He interacted with them. Parents, how often do you interact with your children? Not just talking at them, not just talking to them, but talking with them. Ask them questions. Listen to their answers. And not just where can I correct their thinking. Listen to how they understand it. Actually have a conversation with them. I'm going to use this phrase. Find out where they're at. Now wouldn't that be appropriate for our story this morning? Mary and Joseph needed to find out where Jesus was at geographically, physically. But it's also good, I'm sure when they got there and they saw this exchange going on, they found out not just where he's at physically, but where he's at mentally. They found out where he's at spiritually. By, the, by verse 49, he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? They found out something deeper about his spiritual life. Find out where your children are at. Once you know where they're at, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, 
then provide the proper environment. Give them the sustenance they need so that their minds continue to grow. Challenge them to learn more and more. Be mindful of what you put around them. Be careful of what TV shows they're watching. Be careful of the music that they're listening to. Be careful about the friends that they hang out with. Be careful about the other adults you have over to the house. Because even though the children might be in another room quietly listening, right? They're not part of the conversation. They can still hear the conversation. And I can't tell you the number of times after some other adults have gone off, here come the kids saying, I heard so-and-so say this. What did he mean? And I wasn't even aware that they were paying attention. I thought they were off in... In, in their own little world, but they're actually soaking that stuff up. Be ready, parents, to, an, to, to not just answer, but to fix some of the wrong things your children will hear. No matter how hard we try, we can't shield our children from every bad aspect of the world, right? Eventually, something wrong is going to find its way to their eyes or to their ears. It's gonna pressure them. Peer pressure is gonna happen. Be prepared to answer these tough questions. I'll tell you one of the most dangerous places to send a child, and this is just my opinion, you're welcome to disagree with this. I think one of the most dangerous places for a child to be is school. Now, it's just my opinion. You might feel differently, so please feel free. Not only when you send a child to school, you have sent them into a den of lions because all these other kids, they are bringing their their home lives and now presenting it to your child and if, if it was anything like when I was in school 150 years ago that's where I learned every cuss word every dirty thing I learned I learned at school from my friends and not just my friends but other kids every naughty thing I learned my dad didn't cuss he didn't smoke he didn't he didn't drink he didn't run around with women he was He's lost, but he was a very clean living man. And one day when my dad found out that I was doing all these horrible things, the, the first question out of his mouth is, where did you pick this up? I picked it up from going to school. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that it's wrong to send your kids to school. Please, please know that. That's not a sin. You just need to be aware of the environment that they're in and be ready, prepare your child to say you are going to hear things, see things, you're gonna feel this pressure. This is how you deal with it. Not only the peer pressure from other students, and again, I, this is a longer discussion, but the things that are taught in some schools, when you look at the curriculum, especially I think of the scientific stuff, it's one thing to talk about what you can observe in a microscope, right? Or in a telescope. I, I'm fine with, with what you can observe happening within nature. That's wonderful. But as soon as you start telling stories about the long process of macroevolution, that can become very dangerous and very confusing. I personally, and God help me, I don't mean to start a stir this morning. I'm a little nervous about the Bible being taught in schools. I am. Be because that can get very twisted very quick. I personally think if you're going to school, to a public school, teach them the basics of functioning in society, reading, writing, arithmetic, and then at home you're going to learn about the Lord. In church you're going to learn about the Bible and so forth. 
But that being said, when they've taken the Bible out and replaced it with the modern version of science and now gender politics, you have kids going to school at age five in America, age five, learning that a boy doesn't have to be a boy. But that little boy at age five can decide to be a little girl. He is not mentally, emotionally equipped to be dealing with that information. And as parents, it's our responsibility to be aware of this. We need to know what sustenance is affecting that sponge-like mind and then prepare them to deal with it properly. One last thing, one, one more suggestion. A personal spirituality. Personal spirituality. We've already seen it in verse 49. Jesus has said, how is it that you sought me? So he's telling Mary and Joseph, why did it take so long for you guys to find me? You should have known where to, where to find me. You should know I wouldn't be playing out on the playground. I wouldn't be running around in the market. You know my interest. You know what I'm concerned about. You should have come straight to my father's house. You, could, you should have come straight to the temple. How is it that you sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business now I want you to notice he doesn't say our father's business he says my father's business and it's there that I get the idea for the personal spirituality isn't it something moms and dads can I just challenge you for a moment and I challenge even the opas and omas here this morning isn't it something if your children's spirituality has excelled your own just think about this for a moment. That child in your home, that child in your home, age 10, 11, 12, wouldn't that be something if, they, if their walk with God has excelled yours? Now, I'm not saying this so much as a rebuke, but to challenge you to up your game a little bit. To say, if my child at age 12 can have a personal relationship with the Father, and Jesus did, didn't he? Age 12, he personally knows his father. He knows the father's will. And he's busy doing something about it at age 12. Moms and dads, we have to acknowledge that our children, eventually, they are going to have their own personal walk with God. I find it a little alarming that moms and dads expect their Christianity to automatically be passed to the children. They say, because we are Christians, mom and dad, that makes my child a Christian. That's not true. That's not true. Being a Christian has never been something that you pass down to the next generation. Mom and dad, you raise that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but at a, at a certain point, and it's different for every child, that child has to decide for him or herself, I'm going to follow Christ. It's your job to provide an environment that gives them the truth as to why they should be a Christian why do they need their own walk with God I'm going to give you three ideas to prepare them for this number one as they're growing up hold them to a proper standard of behavior hold them to a proper standard of behavior now first of all you have to you have to present the structure, right? You have to tell them this is right, this is wrong. 
and then hold them to that standard. Be consistent. This is what I expect you to do. And when you don't do it, there are repercussions. There are consequences for your actions. Watch how this works. You get the little one growing up. Don't touch that. He touches it. I told you not to touch that. Now, just that little smack. That little, you don't have to get crazy with it. Just that little smack. You know what that child learns? Do bad, bad things happen. Right? You tell that child, clean up your room. They clean it up. You say, booty, that was wonderful. Come here, give me, give me a drinky. And they get that big hug. You know what they learn? Do good, good things happen. That's a solid lesson. Do you know how many people today in South Africa are growing up extremely bitter because they try to do good and when they do good, nobody recognizes it and they feel hopeless because no matter how hard I try, it never gets rewarded. It started when they were young. Mom and dad never affirmed good behavior. And then we have another side of society, no matter how much bad they do, they, they don't expect a punishment because at a young age, it was burned in, into their mind. No matter what I do, it's okay. Mom and dad will find a way to justify it. If you hold them to a high standard while they're young, here's what happens. They grow up, they get to 13, 14, 18, 20, whatever the age is, and they've already learned there is a punishment for doing wrong. Where does this stand in the Bible? The wages of sin is death. You have taught them the foundational lesson for getting saved. That if you sin against God, there are consequences. You can't get away with it. You don't automatically get forgiven. Somebody has to receive a punishment for your wrongdoing. You taught them the, the foundation of that when they were young. Hold them to a high standard. It will make getting saved later in life much easier. Number two, eventually, you're not going to teach them this at the age of five or six, but eventually, they're going to start asking questions. Why Jesus? Why is Jesus the only way to God? Mom and dad, you should be able to answer that question. The reason Jesus is the only way to God, the only way to have a personal relationship with God is through Jesus, is because Jesus was God personally coming down in the flesh to introduce himself to us. Not Muhammad, Buddha, or not some uh, natural evolution. None of these things present God to us. Jesus came and said, I'm here to declare the Father to you. A personal relationship with the Father goes through Jesus. Furthermore, it was Jesus and he alone that went to the cross and carried your sins on himself and paid for your sins. No one else has ever done that. He paid for your sins. So by receiving Jesus Christ, the sins have been paid for and therefore can be forgiven. Without that, there is no forgiveness with God. Eventually, the children are going to ask that. Moms and dads, be ready to answer that. And thirdly, to prepare your children for a personal spirituality, you need to be living your faith in a way that's apparent to them, to where it's clear. They need to be able to see that Christianity really makes a difference. And mom and dad, the things that they do, the way that they talk, the friends that they have, the places that they go, the way that they spend their time and their money, all of this is affected by Christ in a good way. 
And when they see the practical outworkings of Christianity in your life, it's going to make much more sense to them to say, I also need a personal spiritual walk with God. I can see how it's changed mom and dad's life. I want to have that same effect in my life. If they see Christianity making no difference in you, they see the way you are, and then they see some other uamurtani, some other person in their life, person of the world, makes no religious claims at all, but they talk like you, they act like you, they dress like you, they walk like you, everything's the same. What is the child going to deduce? They're going to assume that Christianity makes no difference. And therefore, why would I personally want to get involved with this? The best thing for our children to see is how mom and dad have changed and how different and sanctified they are by this personal walk with Christ. Now, in what we have in Luke chapter 2, we have a small snippet of Jesus' childhood. Just a few suggestions for parenthood. I want to move beyond just the parenthood and open up this last point. When Jesus said, I must be about my father's business, I want to ask everybody in the room this morning, do you have a personal spirituality? Do you personally walk with God? I'm not asking if your mom and dad were Christians. I'm not asking what they taught you when you were young. I'm asking about the decision that you personally have made. Have you ever, on your own, come to the conclusion that by yourself, you are not enough to get to heaven? You're not good enough to walk with God just the way you are. You need Christ to come in and cleanse you and change you and make you acceptable with the Father. Have you made that decision? If you never have, on a day when we are dedicating people to the Lord, what a wonderful day to dedicate yourself and to say Jesus at age 12 had a personal walk with the Father. I want to start my personal walk today. I want to be about my Father's business from this day forward. If you all would, let's, let's stand together, please. Have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And Garrett, if I could ask you to play something quietly. I've given you five things this morning, five suggestions for parenthood. Garrett, maybe bring that down just a little bit. None of the things that I've said this morning are things that you can overnight fulfill. You, you can't do all of this in one night, right? Paying special attention to your children, that's going to take the rest of your life. Providing structure, take the rest of your life. Having a personal walk with God, it'll take the rest of your life. What I'm asking you to do is keep these things in your heart. That's what Mary did, right? She listened, she learned from each experience, and no doubt it grew her as a mother. Moms and dads, please hear the suggestions that were given this morning. Keep these things in your heart. 
anybody that's here this morning and has not personally dedicated their own heart to Christ, you have an opportunity here and now between you and God. You can turn your heart to heaven and say, Father, I know I'm a sinner. I don't deserve what Jesus did on the cross, but I believe that he died for me. And I want to trust your son as my savior. I believe that only he can connect me and you. Would you turn your heart to him this morning? Maybe you've done that before. Maybe you have dedicated your life to Christ but you haven't been about your father's business. Maybe today you can say, Father, I've, it's been a while since I've personally spoken with you, but I want to get back in a good routine. I want to participate sincerely in the things of God. Would you do that this morning? Put your heart back in the place it needs to be. Father, thank you this morning for the privilege to dedicate these children and then also to learn about parenthood from, could we say, one of the best families ever. Lord, help all of us to keep these things in our hearts. And as time goes on, Lord, we, we want to put them into practice day by day, year by year. Help us to be consistently making a difference in the lives of our children. And Father, we do, in, we beg you, in due time, work on our children's hearts that they develop their own personal walk with you. And Father, any sinner here this morning, if they've never been saved, please touch that sinner's heart this morning. And might they leave the room a child of God. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.